Good afternoon, good evening. The last week of January, the Dave Juskow podcast. Coming at you early in the morning today. Yes, taping on a Tuesday morning. My new favorite time to tape. While the sun is shining, the cat is sleeping, and the neighbors love it. Why am I playing this song? Why am I opening this? All will be revealed later in the podcast. Because uh, this, I mean, uh, we're getting back to the regular format. However, no, we're not, because uh, this is the third in a trilogy of uh, tribute shows, uh, which I've been waiting to do, but all these other people kept dying in the meantime, and uh, later in the program, we'll be getting to a tribute of Robert Stigwood, and I'll explain who that is, and this is all in the coming hour or so. We'll also be talking to John Vitti from the Boston Globe, uh, who's going to be a very interesting interview in the sense of, obviously, uh, the Patriots lost, uh, thank God, and um, the movie Spotlight, which I'm pretty sure he was working there when it was being investigated and filmed at the same time. So, our friend John Vitti turns out to be one of the most interesting folks this week. Lucky me. Yes, welcome to the podcast, everybody. That was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, <laughs> I love playing the DJ. Yeah, and, um, you know, whenever I hear Earth, Wind, and Fire, of course, I have to go to this. Got any Blue Oyster Cult? No, I don't have any Blue Oyster Cult. I ate 34 pairs last time around. Where were you? I was that close to working at 7-Eleven, you know. Whoa, what? What? All right, Jamie. Tell him. All right. You got quarters? Well, when are those Earth, Wind, and Fire tickets coming in? Earth, Wind, and Fire? Jeez, uh, I haven't heard anything, but the, the minute I do, I'll let you know. So you know, I'm planning on taking my little brother with 
Is that your little brother? <laughs> He's a good-looking kid. Uh, great. Charles Jefferson for Earth, Wind, and Fire, and a little brother. And I'll let you know when they come around, okay? Wow, does he really live here? I thought he just flew in for games. Shit, he knows where to come when he wants some tickets. All right, now go on, get out of here. Okay? You're messing up my business. Come on, Brad. Let's go get you a woman. Ah, uh, Damone, one of the greatest characters of all time. Sure, Spicoli gets all the accolades, especially after he um, found and, you know, put El Chapo in jail. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it is Damone, that was the man. Earth, Wind, and Fire, yeah, I'll let you Charles Jefferson for two Earth, Wind, and Fire tickets and Little Brother. And he knows where to come when he wants tickets. Where were you two weeks ago? I had 34 Blue Oyster Cult tickets. Come on, get out of here, kid. You're ruining my business. I'm not doing a good imitation today, but you know what I'm talking about. And, um, again, everything will be revealed. Now, uh, so this week, uh, yesterday, we have the uh, Super Bowl all set up, the stupid um, Denver Broncos and the stupid Carolina Panthers. I, they're not none of them stupid. It's just, I'm just annoyed. Look, I... Bet the I bet the Patriots this week because I wanted I told everybody because I I wanted to bet with my head not my heart I want Peyton Manning to win I want him to go out in style now he's just annoying because they beat the Patriots that sucks and now what am I supposed to root for him again and then get hurt again you know if they lose uh you know the way they did two years ago to Seattle I'm not falling for it I think I got to root against them I, I mean it stinks. He's really getting on my last nerve, and I and I really like him, and it's a major bummer. So I lost on the Pats, and that really ruined my week, but I did win on the Panthers, so I guess it was all right. However, that all being said, I have been in a box pool, which I've told you people about since uh, the beginning of the season. For $250, me and uh, two other folks have uh we got these squares like the super bowl squares but we got it for monday night starting at the beginning of september on labor day and we have won on those monday nights like four times maybe three and then can you believe it that also that 250 dollars goes the longest the best money ever spent because it goes from september to february 250 bucks and it also goes into the championship games and we won the final score because the patriots would not uh could not score the two-point conversion now when i was first doing it because i needed the patriots to cover by three i was hoping they'd get the two-point conversion because and then i was like oh my god i didn't even realize this is exactly what happened in the super bowl with the patriots too it's so weird i'm like wait a minute this will be better because i'll win two thousand dollars if they don't make the two-point conversion so i was going crazy because even though i might be down with my bookie i can pay him off with the, the money so Oh, my God. So they I couldn't believe it. It was the fourth down. Kronkowski makes that unbelievable catch. I mean, this guy, and you're like, look, these guys, of course they're going to, of course he's going to make that catch. And then they score a touchdown. I couldn't even believe it. I was screaming. And then I was like in a position where well, I really can't lose. If they make the two points, I have a chance to win the bet. And if they don't, then I have a chance to win $2,000. I was way more thrilled that they did not score the two-point conversion uh, best of both worlds in a way, having Manning go to the Super Bowl and winning the big money. But, um, you know, we have to, it's in Staten Island, so, you know, it's not exactly two thousand. You know, you got to give a tribute. Got to give a tribute. And then when you give the tribute, you have to say, it's going to be a good summer. It's going to be a good summer. Now, listen, 
Now, when they handed me the money in Staten Island the next day, they go, now listen, that's a lot of money for a kid like you. Anybody asks you where you got it from, you tell them you're playing craps in Vegas. Uh, you know, which is really nice. It's also nice they call me a kid. And I appreciate that because I'm probably the exact same age Paul Servino was in Goodfellas, which is really, uh, really messed up. Like I said, I'm the exact age Paul Servino was in Goodfellas and the exact age uh, Stocker Channing was in Greece to, um, to now I can play both of those roles. Fascinating, right? That I can play Rizzo and Paulie at the same time. That's when you know you've reached an age where you just don't know what day it is. Speaking of which, you know, I had a date on Thursday, um, but an age-appropriate one, you know. You know, I've been going out on a lot of Thursdays. been having a lot of dates on Thursdays. I don't know why. So I went out with this girl. I, um, she was a, an attorney. And uh, I don't really know her very well, but we agreed to. She, hey, she came on to me, man. What, what can I do? She asked me out. I said, all right. Sure, I'll go out with you. Um... So I don't know what she's like, you know, when you go out with somebody for the first time. Well, apparently she's a big drunkie. She said she lived downtown on Wall Street, so I go to visit her down on Wall Street. Um, and she knows a bar to go to. She's like, yeah, they have a good happy hour there. And they give a good pour. That's what she said. They give a good pour. I'm like, oh, boy. If she's saying they give a good pour, that's, that's, that's not going to end well. So then she told me she, you know, I met her around 6.30. She told me she's been, uh, oh, yeah, I've been hanging out. I've been waiting for you, so I haven't been drinking that much. You know, I've been drinking since 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock on a Thursday? 10 in the morning. Funny thing is, uh, and then, you know, where's her like, I'm like, how did you pick this place? She's like, oh, they have a good happy hour and they have a good pour. She said it again. And I'm like, that's right, that's right. So she was getting a carafe of wine for the happy hour for 10 bucks. Small carafe, but they really did fill it to the top. I don't know whether that's just they do for her or whether they actually do that, but they, I must say, I mean, they, they, they really did fill it to the top. I was very impressed with the poor. So I had like three beers, you know, three uh, drafts, you know, big, big glasses. And then I, you know, you know, was trying to make the move. So I'm like, you know, making the move. I, you know, like I've said a hundred times, very difficult Manhattan. You either got to make out at the bar. Or, you know, when you, or before you get into a cab. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to make the move at any age. So I was like, let's go to another place. She goes, oh, I know a place uh, right down the street. Um, they have a good pour. If the bartender's there, they get a good pour. That's, that's all she keeps saying. They have a good pour. So she brings me to a banchan chicken. Banchan chicken. It's a Korean fried chicken place. Now, you know I love that. So I'm like, I think I'm going to marry this girl, even though it's not my friend's Korean place, the unidentified fried chicken. This is banchan chicken. They're not bad. They're not as good as my friends, but they're pretty good. And I'm like, that's where we're going, but I'm not going to eat there because I'm not going to sit there and eat a bunch of wings on a date. It's like going to the comedy cellar and eating a bunch of wings. You're just, you know, trying to shake people's hands. And, uh, you know, you're like, oh, wait, let me wipe off first, and then maybe I'll be able to shake your hand, you know. Who am I, Amy Schumer, that I can get away with that? I couldn't believe last time I was there. She's like chowing down on the wings. And I'm like, geez, well, if she can do it, why can't I do it? What do I care? So um, we go to the banchan chicken, and I guess, you know, one of the Korean girls is working there, and she's, she's the one that gives the good but she goes, she hates me there. And I'm like, if you know bartenders that hate you there, you're just like me. You must be, I mean, she must be a real drunk. You know, I'm a dude, but a girl. For bartenders to hate a, a pretty blonde girl, that's uh, something's up. 
But uh, I got to say again, it it was an outstanding pour. <laughs> we she, she the the as soon as we got there, the bartender just gave her a glass of Jack Daniels with no ice, just a glass of Jack Daniels. So she's like, "What are you having?" I guess I'll have the same. And we just had a glass, a big glass of Jack Daniels. And I usually do it the opposite way. I will usually open with Jack Daniels and rarely straight up and then switch to beer. But I did it the opposite way. And I'm like, oh, boy. I don't know if I can hang out with this girl. But uh, I did. And she did give a good pour. (laughs) This place gives a really good pour. So, um, yeah, we ate that. They were cleaning up. The lights go on. You know, they're cleaning up. They're like, all right, this is the last call. You got to go. We have another. She just filled our glasses when we were finished with it anyway. Actually went down pretty good. And then um, we left and I walked her home. You know, kissed a little bit. And uh, then I'm like, Jesus, I'm all the way down on Wall Street. You know, so I'm, I'm going to take the bus home because it was really cold. Like I, Normally I would take the city bike, you know that, even as far away as it is. You know, I'm at the other end of Manhattan. But um, I took the city bus, and then I realized, you know, and it's like it, it, there's nobody on the street. It's Wall Street. You know, it closes down. And, you know, the bar closed, so we closed down the bar. And then again, you know, I realized it's 1130. I, I was thrilled. You know, that's been happening to me lately, except usually it's been, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. But this time, 11.30, you know, nor I, it, I thought for sure it was 3.30 in the morning. Then I had, oh, my God, I got to, you know, it's late again. And uh, But it was only 11.30, so the buses were running perfect. <laughs> I, uh, I have a Carolina Panthers hat that I wear, uh, a winter, you know, cap that I've been wearing for years. I've always liked the Panthers. It's kind of funny. I just bought it one day because I don't want to wear the Jets cap because it's embarrassing. And I just bought a Panthers one a long time ago. I always liked the Panthers since they first got here in, like, 96. Uh, I don't know. I guess I always thought they were okay. They've never been a threat to the Jets. And they got good colors. And I like the Panther because, you know, I like black cats. So I wear it on the bus. And some girl goes, nice, nice. And I'm like, I don't even know what she was talking I forgot I was wearing it. I've had it for so many years. And I'm like, ah, oh, thanks. I, I Finally wearing the winning team. Ah. Oh. What a dream. I always usually choose uh, another team because, you know, the Jets stink, right? So I have to choose, like, another team to root for. And it's always been the Panthers and the Broncos. Go figure they're playing each other in the goddamn Super Bowl. I mean, this is unbelievable. So Friday night, Friday day, I was hungover. That, even though it was just three beers and two Jack Daniels, I mean, I was, I was hungover because I didn't eat anything which I was glad about because I think maybe that was better when I got home I ate a little something but so Friday I was not sure but uh, Sarah Silverman was playing at BAM the Brooklyn Academy of Music it was called Sarah Silverman and Friends she was basically the MC, and the friends were like everybody I know uh, my the lovely Wayne Fetterman who you may or may not know Marina Franklin who's been a guest on our show and the uh, legendary Todd Barry so, you know, why? how am I not going to go? And also, Michael Sheen was there, and I hadn't seen him since they had broken up for a period of time. So it was really great to see him, because I really like him a lot. He's, you know, not only is do I really feel he's a super talent. You know, I mean, look at my friends, David Attell, Sarah Silverman. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I have others. That, these are very talented people. And I can be friends with them because I respect their talent. So 
all the other boys Sarah was dating, I just didn't respect any of their talent. But Michael Sheen is a really good actor. And I really, and I talk about this all the time, and I really do respect his talent. And um, so actually at one point we were talking about the Oscars, and I'm going to obviously mention this to John Vitti later, but Rachel McAdams in Spotlight should not have been nominated for an Oscar. Now, I've seen Spotlight, and she should not have been nominated. And she... So I, you know, I was dying to know Michael Sheen's opinion on that because, you know, that was his old girlfriend. And I said, do I tell him how I feel, or is he going to be like, how dare you, she's amazing? And like I said, you know, uh, his penis is clearly magical. Um... So, he no, he agreed. He agreed. I said, he's like, yeah, no, that wasn't an Oscar-worthy performance. We all agreed. We all... Nobody hates Rachel McAdams, but we all agreed that was not an Oscar-worthy performance. And then we were talking about, like, you know, couldn't they replace it with a black... <laughs> Why'd they just do it now and appease everybody? But the thing is, he was saying that 96% of the people who vote are white, which was very interesting. And now the Oscars, because of this, you know, uproar, are changing things. So now they're going to go in a 10-year cycle where when you're voted in, you have 10 years to, to pretty much be relevant still. So, you know, for instance, let's just say, and this is a, a really messed up example for only an idiot, but there's an actress named Monica Potter. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pulling it out of my ass, people. I, I didn't plan on talking about it, but I'm, I'm pulling it out of my ass. A, an actress named Monica Potter. And I remember there was a period of time in like the late 90s or early 2000s where they were clearly trying to get, you know, they, uh, starring Monica Potter. Now, nobody knows who Monica Potter is, and they were trying to make her relevant. They were trying to make her the next, this is going to be a big star. So she obviously had a really good publicity machine or whatever, and they're like, we're going to, Monica Potter. So she's in a couple of movies. She never really made it. And let's just say she had one really great film and she got to vote for the Oscars because she was now in the Guild. Maybe she was nominated once. Who knows? Now, nobody knows Monica Potter, so should Monica Potter still be voting at the Oscars? Of course not. I mean, at least to a piece, because it's all like... Um, he said that uh, most of them are all 67-year-old people that are voting. So they got to change that. So they make an evaluation every 10 years. I mean, even somebody like Jennifer Lawrence, let's just, you know how it is with women. Now, she's young enough where she's probably going to be around forever. But, you know, you know how it is with women. They're there, they're popular, and then they just go away. Now, I don't think, well, I mean, if you look like look at somebody like, um, what's that one who won for a million-dollar baby? Uh, Hillary Swank won two Oscars. Is she relevant anymore? Has anybody seen her? I've seen her in a couple publicity photos. I mean, she's a strange bird, you know. She's won two Oscars, but where's she been? You never really hear about her. You never see her in any movies. She's not really a movie star. It's the strangest thing. Should she be voting? I don't know. Good question. But they will reevaluate all these things every 10 years. And then if you make it past the 30-year cycle... So you have, you know, 10 years, then they reevaluate 10 years, you're still relevant 10 years later... You're in forever. So somebody like Jack Nicholson doesn't have to worry. Because that is 
you, you have to acknowledge the greats. I think that's a really good, fair system. And I guess, you know, they've heard the noise and, uh, you know, they're going to do something about it. And I thought that was interesting. So I'm at this BAM thing, and uh, it's a real fun show, and it was a real great night. The audience was, you know, cool and into it. And then uh, Caroline Hirsch from Caroline's was there, and we've been hanging out a little bit lately. You know, we had some problems 20 years ago. I got banned from there for a long time. But now, you know, she's got that horse. Uh, her boyfriend has – his father has a horse at the track, Caroline's Comedy. So we're talking about going to the track together. So whatever the case may be, also um, the guy that books Caroline's was there, and it was so great to see him. I hadn't seen him in so long, and I – you know, I've known him since the 80s where he would put me on at Catch a Rising Star. He was always fair to me. And we were just talking about hanging out, maybe working there again. Can you imagine? I missed that club so much. I loved Caroline's. I loved it. I'd love to work there again. I just got to, you know, in lack of a better term, break my cherry again. I just need a place to go up somewhere quick. Now there's talk about uh, us changing our March 1st date to February 23rd. It doesn't really matter. I don't have anything prepared or anything, but they keep not dicking me around, but they just keep changing because I guess I'm not important, but I'll, I shouldn't. I'm supposed to know yesterday, so obviously... My people here will be the first to know. We had a good time. Then we went out for dinner. And uh, Michael's friends with the guy that uh, wrote the music for Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which I was, you know, more than happy to talk to because I'd seen that in its first incarnation with uh, John Cameron Mitchell uh, in the mid-'90s. So we had a lot to talk about. Now, he's also working on a musical for The King of Comedy, the Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis movie. They're talking about bringing that to Broadway. He's working on the music right now. So he was an interesting fellow. And uh, we had a nice time. Then it started to snow. It was a very pleasant, very pleasant evening in Brooklyn. And I would have been there either way because my friend also asked me to go to the Nets game. So either way, there was no way I was not going to be near the Barclays Center on Friday. Destiny was going to take me there. It was a fun time. And then obviously there was nowhere to go on Saturday because we had 30 inches of snow. And speaking of 30 inches, <laughs> how you doing? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't leave the house Saturday. And I'm kind of bummed. I hate when it snows and I'm alone because, you know, you want to go out and play in the snow a little bit, even though you don't because it's kind of a blizzard. But I don't like having nobody to play with. It's lonely. I wasn't unhappy being in. I knew nobody was around. And, uh, so I watched The Revenant, and I hated it. Yeah. I obviously had three hours to kill. I watched The Revenant. I watched, now, I know you're not supposed to watch it on the small screen, and I know that's why I couldn't stand Avatar. I watched it on my TV instead of in the theater where it's supposed to be, but I, I think they both stink, and I don't think it has anything to do with my TV. I, I kept saying to myself, if I was watching this in the movies, I'd be just as bored and uninterested. I'm not interested. It's a stupid movie, and it didn't need to be made. And if it's a true story, it's even stupider. I'm sorry. It's the way I feel. Uh, I'm not sure why people like it. Maybe I just don't care for those kind of stories. It's uh, it's just stupid. I don't know why. It just wasn't. It's, just, it's not interesting to me. You know. I, you know what's a good movie like that? Castaway. I like that movie a lot. So if I like that movie about somebody struggling, that's I don't even know what that's based on. A true story. Maybe that's fantasy. Maybe that's the way to go. Maybe true stories suck. And if Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be nominated for this, he doesn't even have any lines. What, you know, 
He's done other stuff that's better. I just didn't like it. I'm sorry. I hope people aren't angry. So, anyway, Sunday was a, another, you know, annoyance, but I was obviously in a good mood in a way because I, uh, you know, won that pool. So, But that pool will pay off the other pools that are coming up for the Super Bowl. It's so annoying. Uh, what are you going to do? That was pretty much it, you know, just the whole week there. But uh, also, during the the snowstorm, uh, I've been taping the... Now, this is it's crazy, but I've been taping the the Merv Griffin show. They, they've been airing it on this, uh, on this, uh, you know, some network, whatever. Because they're airing the Tonight Show, old Tonight Shows too. So I was airing the... And on Martin Luther King Day, I recorded when, for some reason, Martin Luther King was on the Merv Griffin show, which I, I still can't even believe. Uh, and obviously I had to see that. So I watched it and it was just completely fascinating he has harry belafonte on who brings martin luther king with him because he was apparently a fan of the show here's the rare opportunity we promised you i think harry introduced him beautifully may i just add that here's one of the great voices in america dr martin luther king this is 1967 he comes in they shake hands they're about to sit down, and then Merv gets up again to give him more applause. And that's uh, pretty forward thinking back then, you know. It's pretty cool of Merv. That's when they get up again. It's rare, Doctor, that we get a chance to see you in New York. Are we covered? Oh, yes, the microphone over there. Uh, do you visit here often? Oh, I'm in New York almost every other week at least. There's Quietly, always though. something happening in New York, so you can't avoid coming to New York. <laughs> You've discovered it's a... Wait, is that him or... Uh... Oh, my... I'm losing my mind today. I don't know what I'm thinking of. You know, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Boy, he t- I had no idea. You know, I don't think I've ever heard him speak except in speeches, so this is kind of the most fascinating thing of all time in many ways. I was just... Um... Fun city? Well, I haven't... <laughs> I haven't quite discovered that side of New York. Yeah. Being a Baptist clergyman, they keep uh-huh. me involved in other areas. Right. <laughs> he seems like a fun guy. He was uh, completely interesting on the show because he was just talking about how, the, you know, Merv even brings up, he's like, I heard there was some trouble in Chicago, and your project goes, well, it's not our fault. We're having a silent protest, and then people start throwing stuff at us, you know. He was so calm and cool. He really was an interesting guy. But the best is the lineup of the Merv Griffin show, the, uh, you know, this guy, Arthur Treacher, who is the, uh, you know, the guy that does the announcing. He's like, tonight on the Merv Griffin show, the guests are singer actor Harry Belafonte. Actor comedian Orson Bean, singer David Allen, actor Flory Dianakasis, and the Ritz Puppets, and of course, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> so Dr. King is on with a bunch of puppets. That's messed up. So this is like a year before he gets killed. Your home is actually in Atlanta. Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Have you lived there all your life? 
I was born in Atlanta and uh, went to school in Atlanta through college, and then I went to theological seminary and graduate school. Let me see if I can get to the, let's see, I'm going to go a little further. end up in violence in the sense that we, who are demonstrated, uh, demonstrating rather, are inflicted with violence. And I always say that you can't blame nonviolent uh, demonstrators who are demonstrating for their constitutional rights uh, when violence erupts. This would be like blaming uh, the robbed man uh, for the evil act of robbery because his possession of wealth or money precipitates the act. Society must always condemn uh, the ro robber and protect the robbed. Uh, another analogy would be, and I saw this very clearly in Chicago last summer when we were demonstrating around the whole issue of open housing. And as we marched into uh, certain areas that were lily white areas and that denied Negroes the right to live in those areas, uh, we were confronted with a massive violence. Bottles and bricks were thrown at us. We were often beaten, and yet they uh, they, they caused us, or rather they called us, the originators of the violence. And I always said that uh, this is like looking at a physician uh, who, through his uh, skills, through his uh, medical ingenuity, uh, discovers cancer in a patient and blaming the doctor for causing the cancer. I love that analogy. That's why I wanted to play it for you. It's so interesting. And um, boy, what a fascinating man. And then so later in the interview, they talk about Vietnam. And remember, you know, it's happening right now. And then they have this, uh, they, they go to the audience for questions. Let's see if I can get to that. In a moment, we're going to ask our studio audience if they'd like to ask you some questions. And there is a scary sure dude in the audience ask one. asking about, you know, are you talking about against Vietnam? It's uh, Let's see if I can get to if it. If I may. Your reasons uh, refuse to recognize. We've seen anywhere well, I'm trying in to that we spend about the but as a clergyman. As it stands now, until we become communist. Now, North Vietnam, the North Vietnamese are communists, and a lot of Koreans are communists. Now, I've heard it said that a person who refuses to answer the call of their country to fight, whether it's in Europe, in the First World War, Second World War, this guy's saying, I mean, it's hard to hear because they didn't really have the audience mic back then. He goes, well, I hear if somebody uh, refuses to answer the country, you know, to, to call to the service of the country, he's, you know, he's kind of calling them out, but in a polite way, but still it's, it's kind of scary if you see it. Or in Korea, or in Vietnam, is committing an act of treason, and anyone who tells them not to serve for their country is also a traitor. Now, what would you say to that, sir? Well, first, let me deal with the communist problem. Uh, I think we've got to face the fact that communism is a fact uh, in the world that uh, millions and millions of people live under communist uh, regimes and we've got to face the fact that communism is a rival uh, political system. I think it is very unfortunate that we grew up in a generation uh, particularly, uh, particularly during the McCarthy era it's he's he's such an interesting dude. He's so knowledgeable, and uh, you know sometimes you think um, you almost want a like a fantasy to bring him around 
today and i mean things would still be bad but he would have to be he'd have to be pleased i mean we talk about this all the time and you know i always talk about the way blacks or african-american are to me whatever we talk about this on the show all the time i'm a little bit racist but i mean you know i still say we've 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 made a lot of progress it's not perfect but uh he, you know there's that stupid episode of uh, Doctor Who, and I hate to make the analogy about this, where they and it's because it's by my favorite writer director, uh, you know, the same guy that did Notting Hill, uh, Richard Curtis, and he does the episode where uh, Van Gogh comes back, and you know he's so depressed and hard, you know, how Van Gogh he cuts off his ear for the girl, he's obviously an idiot, uh, but they take him back to the Museum of Modern Art and they show him what he's become and how people are there, and he starts to cry and. It's almost like you want to just take him to the White House and have him meet Obama, you know, in a in a in a fantasy. Uh, you know, I mean, how touching would that? There was not a dry eye in the house, I tell you, not a dry eye in the house. But here is the absolute best part of all, and uh, I was just doing. I'm like, let's just go for it all. We've been pretty serious as Martin Luther King, and uh, so this Martin Luther King on the Merv Griffin show. Okay, Dr. Martin Luther King's on the Merv Griffin show. The Merv Griffin show, the one they they do on Seinfeld, they make fun. The Merv Griffin show. I mean, it was on for like 30 years, so, you know, whatever whatever it is. SCTV made fun of it. It was some of my my favorites. We played some clips of that. Um, But he has Martin Luther King, and his next guest 10 years later is this. And the setup, I promise you, will be very entertaining. Where are you living out here? In I live in uh, West L.A. I used to live in uh, Santa Monica uh, on the beach. But um, right now I'm, I'm trying to work on a singing career and working on my own songs. And it's very hard to live in an apartment building and sing at are 3.30 you, in the morning. You're writing your own songs? Yeah. Good. With a partner of mine. And so I moved to a house and I made the garage into a studio and bought some primitive recording equipment. And uh, working on some stuff. That's the way to do it. You know, it's a good way to get to know yourself and to know what not to do and what to do. Are you ready for your singing debut on our show? No. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, they'll love it. I'll wing it. And I love the song you've chosen. Oh, thank you very much. The theme from The Young and the Restless, and it's titled Nadia's Theme. Nadia's Theme, right. Right. Okay. And here's David Hasselhoff to sing. (laughs) Now that's hilarious. Were you expecting that? Never saw it coming, right? Come on. And here's David Hasselhoff to sing. Ten years later, after he had Dr. Martin Luther King on, David Hasselhoff's the next guest. And let me tell you something about David Hasselhoff. I mean, he sucks. And he still doesn't get why he's not a huge singing phenomenon in this country. Well, let's play when he was ridiculously young, his voice was perfect. Let's just play this and see why it is he just can't be taken seriously as a singer here. Gone. I think we really just stop right there, huh? I mean, he stinks. I mean, those of you who don't know anything about singing, you know, I kind of do in the sense that, you know, I mean, I, I see a lot of shows about singers and stuff. So, uh, but that first note, horrible right away. Let's take that up for nerves. Dreams of the past. Still bad. One by one, you can just say, okay, but still nerves. It, it's just that way throughout. Gone with the love that moved too fast. 
restless friend You'll never pass this way why am I playing this? What's the matter with me? I, I, I just kept going. I'm like, I, I was thinking of other things. And I was saying, God, I, it's like, a, you're probably just like, did he go to the bathroom? Where, where, why is he Why is he putting us through this? Sorry about, you know, I, I think I got caught up and I was just thinking about his entire career. I, I, I spaced out for a second there. I, I'm, so, I'm not, I'm, I, 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 I might even edit that in post. I, I kept it on way too long. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I, oh, maybe he is good. I don't know. You put a trance on me somehow. I mean, he's horrible. Every... I was giving him every opportunity. <laughs> oh, my God. What a bag of crap. And it didn't get better again until Merv had uh, this guy on, which was amazing. Yes. Woo. Yeah. Come on. Everybody. Remember this from the movie Meatball or from the TV show Making It. <laughs> oh, if you ever get a chance on YouTube seeing this guy dancing at David Norton, who everybody loved from the Dr. Pepper commercials and all that stuff. I mean, really, it could have been my career. He looked just like me at the time. Oh, he's dancing around, singing. I mean, he, if he wasn't so Jewy looking, he would have had a better career than Hasselhoff, I think. Oh, here's the, yeah, the bridge. Oh, the disco era. I'm as bad as they come. I'm David Norton. Love it! I was gonna sing this at my uh, at my friend's fiftieth, uh, but the words are so convoluted I couldn't remember them. They're all over the place. They don't fit. <laughs> like, come on, you gotta love this song. This song is the greatest song of all time. Oh, and now comes the di- yeah. Oh, oh, uh, 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 yeah, uh, 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 uh. Oh yeah, now that's good. That Merv Griffin. I'll tell you something else. Now let me tell you something. You know. Look what kind of show you going from Martin Luther King to David Norton making it. I mean, come on. You're not going to get another podcast like that. You're just not. It's just the way it is. Now, um, you know, I was thinking I want to get back into the disco and all that stuff. But uh, before we do that, why don't we uh, give uh, John Vidya a call from the Boston Globe, our friend from the Boston Globe. we got some very interesting uh, things to talk about today. Because uh, we got football and we got the movie Spotlight. Let's talk to John Vitti. Okay, John Vitti, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You're very welcome. Yeah. Uh, how you doing today? 
I got a full cup of coffee, uh, half a tank of gas, and I'm not wearing any pants. So pretty good so <laughs> That's far. That's not how the line goes. <laughs> uh, what's the snow count up there? We did okay. It wasn't that awful. Uh, right here in lovely Watertown, about five. Five inches? Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing. I got that in my pants. Um, <laughs> uh, what I wanted to, There's a couple of things, obviously, I wanted to talk about football. Um, your stupid, beloved Patriots are through for the season, thank goodness. It's a Brady-free Super Bowl. No offense. None taken. I mean, no offense. You've, you've had enough wins. Can't you give somebody else a chance? Well, my thought was, was isn't, is the, wasn't the country going into Sunday just said, either way, we're screwed. We're, we're stuck with either two weeks of Brady or two weeks of Manning. Well, what's and, wrong with two weeks of Manning? Every, well, you know what? You're absolutely right. In fact, this is what I've been talking about. Um, I mean, I bet against I bet the Patriots this week because wow. I said I don't want any more trouble. The Patri- and when Rob Gronkowski caught that fourth down pass, I'm like, see, see, I did the right thing. I they're horrible. This is what they do. Uh, but then it turned out I don't know whether I told you, but uh, I told me it turned out that it by not making that two point conversion, I made two thousand dollars. I'm sorry, how? I was in a box pool. Had those numbers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Covered at 8-0? 8-0. Wow. Yeah, this is the box pool that keeps on winning. It keeps on giving because it's a, it was a whole Monday night pool for $250. We won four times. Had every wow. Monday night game and then the championships. Can you believe it? Congratulations. Oh, it's nothing. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, so I decided, you know, I'm going to bet the Patriots because I don't want any trouble. I'm going to bet with my head today, not my heart. And then this idiot goes on and wins. And here's the problem. I mean, this guy really dicked me over in the last Super Bowl he was in. And I love Peyton Manning, and I want him to finish out the way Elway did. But now how do you bet against the Panthers? Right. I think the, I think the smart money is the, is the Panthers. I think going into Sunday, the thought was that no matter who won the AFC – and no matter who won the NFC, the NFC team was going to be favored, and 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 be, or should have been favored because the Pats are just banged up. The Pats are good, but they're not they're not that good, and um, they're not the team they were back in October. They're just too banged up, and you saw that on Sunday. And I think if you took if you took Brady and you took Manning and you flipped teams on Sunday, uh, the Broncos would have won by three touchdowns. Um, and so it wasn't a matter of. Manning being great or Brady being awful is a matter of their, that's where their teams are. Brady has no weapons. Brady doesn't have someone he can go to on fourth and two. He doesn't have a real running back. He has a guy who was, who was a librarian last week or whatever he was. He's a street free agent. <laughs> I heard about that. They're, they're, they have, they're full of street free agents. I'm faster than most of the people on that team. So he, has, he doesn't have, quote-unquote, all these weapons because there's nobody left. So he's got Gronk, who's triple covered, and he's still a beast. Yeah, triple he's covered, like, and he still worked it out. That fourth, they were right there where they could have actually tied and won the game. If not for that extra point, they probably would have won that stupid game. They right, probably would have gone into overtime think, and won that game because that's what he does. Yeah, um, but just the fact that they were that close shows you the skills that the Pats have. But they're still they're not, they're not as good as the, the Panthers, realistically. No. Not that they couldn't win, but I don't think that you know the Panthers are just cranking. They're just a very the spread solid keeps team. Uh, going up too. It's a four and a half now. Yeah, I would imagine it's probably going to go to six and a half at the end. You really think so? 
Absolutely. Maybe I better get on that right away. What am I waiting for? I don't see any reason why you would... I, I don't see any logis- logical reason why you'd take the Broncos. I just hate betting against Manning, but, uh, you know, he really screwed me two years ago at that Seahawks game. Right. I have to maybe look at it like the uh, Panthers are kind of like... I want to see that's the other way around, though. So I keep thinking about that Tampa Bay Bucks Raiders game where, you know, Tampa Bay had that solid defense and then they just beat the crap out of the Oakland high-powered yep. Ravens Raiders high-powered offense. Um, I, I keep thinking about that scenario where, like, this Denver defense is so good. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like that. What do you think? Denver's defense is good, but I'm, I mean uh, – Carolina's offense is, is really good. Well, so were the Oakland Raiders, and Tampa Bay's offense wasn't that good. And then, uh, you know, they just took them apart. Yeah. Remember that? It was crazy. Yeah, six, seven years ago, yeah. Mm. I, that, um, that might have been about and, and, ten and, years ago. Maybe uh, more. <laughs> but but, Cam, but Cam, Newton, Cam Newton is a star right now. And he's adding a weapon that... What, are you saying that Trent Dilfer isn't a star? Let me tell you something. <laughs> You son well, of a... he's not a Trent. He's not a Trent Dilfer style star <laughs> yet. I mean, everyone that's... has a dream. <laughs> um, listen, uh, one other thing I wanted to uh, ask you about. Um, you don't know who's singing the national anthem, do you? This has nothing to do with you. I just. I do not know. It's a, it's a, that's how I make my money. Good. My cat's in crazy. Go, go, go away. Go, 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 go. Sorry. Uh, Last week, was she was she there for the traffic and weather report? No, last week uh, she threw up while I was on the air. It was really annoying. Um, and uh, that's the name of my new uh, my new band called Cat Vomit, and we're here all week. Um, no, I had a question. Now you work for the Boston Globe, Correct. and I uh, over the last week, and I saw the movie Spotlight. Okay, have you seen it? Yes, I have. Uh, were you weren't you working there when all this was going on? Or I was you, indeed. Yeah, so you know a lot of the uh, players, huh? Yeah, I, yes, I do. I was in the I was in the newsroom when that was all happening. That's unbelievable. I mean, uh, did you know it was going to be as powerful as it was? Mm, no. Well, as soon as it happened, it was obviously very powerful, and it and it was it was. Um, uh, it was unbelievable in terms of it, it, you just, this stuff just doesn't happen. You don't have these type of stories, and it's a horrific, horrific, awful story, and no one wants to believe it or can believe it. Um, but the it's reporting really was not that bad. There's only ninety of them. I mean, so, I mean, if you really think about it, it's not that big a deal. It's, <laughs> what are there like four billion people in the world? It's just ninety guys. I mean, come on. But uh, but seriously, so, when are you going go to go to the uh, the molesting rabbi stories? Come on, you got to even it up. It's completely unfair. It's unfair. All but, right. Uh, yeah, no comment. Yes. Now, uh, no. Did you actually go to that basement where they were all doing the story? Oh, that's where I, I, all those places, all the places that were shot on scene. That's where I go. That's where I work every night. You that's work in that basement. That's part of it. Oh, gee. I remember. You know, it's funny. I was watching the thing. I remember you taking me up. I remember those escalators. I mean, I guess it was all filmed there, huh? Most of it, yeah. There's a most of the newsroom scenes where um, uh, Michael Keaton and Mark Ruffalo and they're walking around in the newsroom, quote unquote newsroom, was a set. Uh, the uh, any of the offices were sets, but a lot of the things like going down stairwells 
and um, on the parking lot and outside the building. Those were all real shots. Yeah, right. Because I remember I've been to your office before, and it, I remember that, and it was like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I, I've seen that. That's uh, that's. I, I was surprised that the Globe gave them uh, so much access. Yeah, I don't know how those things work, but I. I Why not? I guess. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. You know, it's just good for the Globe, and you know, they they really busted an amazing story. Uh, the, well, the, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that the the uh, what I was very surprised at, and, and the reason why I think the movie works so well is it's just so incredibly well written. Because what the movie comes down to is reporters digging in libraries, reading clips, and writing. And there's nothing more deadly dull on screen, on screen than that. But the writing made it very, very, very compelling to a viewer. And, um, and that's, where the, the, that's why the movie works so well. It's just written, written so well. And you never have that scene where someone throws someone up against the wall and says, you're going to tell me about the bad priest, yeah. or there's yeah. going to be blood on the floor. And, and yep, good. you're absolutely and right. It's exactly why uh, All the President's Men is a really good movie. Cause, um, Perfect example, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's why I liked it, too, because there wasn't that scene. But here's the other thing, though. They, uh, you know, this Rachel McAdams, who I find very attractive, uh, is not Oscar worthy in this movie. She, there is no particular scene where she has a moment like Mark Ruffalo does. Uh, right. You know, it's a, you know, instead of nominating her, you could have uh, nominated a colored person. I'm sorry, a, an African American. <laughs> she was not. I don't think her role was deserving of a acting. No, it's not. And that's board. the thing. It's like you know, if you're gonna you know nitpick like you know they are with the African Americans, then. Um, you know, you could uh, say you could take her. I mean, why was she nominated? I mean, there, most of all, black people should be furious out of her performance. Like, wait, well, how is that a nomination? But it's funny, you know, um, I was just talking about uh, before that I was with Michael, the actor Michael Sheen on Friday. And, you know, he's I was nervous about saying this to him uh, because he's dated Rachel McAdams. But uh, he agreed. Yeah, I mean, not to say she's not a good actress, but I don't. It right, wasn't no, it has nothing to do. Role. Right, it's not an Oscar-worthy yeah. role. Right. Where, meanwhile, yeah. you could have uh, nominated Lee Schreiber, uh, and that would have been, you know, okay. He did an amazing job because you know sometimes when you do a performance like that, kind of like Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada, and you have a quiet, you know, a different kind of performance instead of raising your voice or anything, that's more powerful than you know actually like you said throwing up against somebody against the wall and stuff, and that was kind of cool. Yeah, and I, but I'll tell you though that that Lee Schreiber performance is a great impression. That oh, is really? Marty that's Barron. That, oh, is that right? That, that, that's not an affect. That's that's being in the room with Marty Barron. That was spot on. He's Marty Barron is a smart, smart guy, and he's an odd duck. And that's exactly what being in the room with him is like. So that was not Lee Schreiber um, conjuring up some sort of wacky acting bit. That's that's a spot on impression. So you've had dealings with him before? Oh yeah, yeah. He's my he was my boss and. Yeah, work. Yeah, work together and such like that. Yeah. And uh, when he came there, you know, did you have a problem with him being a Hebrew? Because I do. <laughs> I've met those people before, you know, Dave. Is that right? What? Just yeah. because you, you think you were a religion major in school, you think you're privy to all that information? <laughs> Why, you son of a! <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, um, those people that uh, were involved, you know, I don't know the character, the actual names of the people. Uh, do they still work there? Uh, some of them do. Robbie does, and uh, Michael Resendez still does, and and Sasha's there somewhere, I believe. What what and, is Sasha's uh, there? What is you know? What does she look like in real life? She good looking. That's pretty close. It's really pretty, pretty darn close. Yeah. Wow. 
but Sasha's now, you know, this is all, I'd say there's probably 10, 15 years difference between them now at this point, but... Right, um, right. That, that, that's, watching Rachel McAdams walk across a room, and that's, that's the, that looks like Sasha. I wow. mean, she's got the, she, the carriage, the manner, the whole bit was very much like it. Now, I don't know Robbie that well, but they were saying that Michael Keaton was doing a, a great Robbie impression, but I don't know him that well. Personally. Michael Keaton's doing Michael Keaton, and I couldn't care less every time. He's still the greatest. <laughs> I don't care what he does. He can always be Michael Keaton. I'm always going to be fascinated by everything he does, even if it kind of isn't that great, especially that stupid Birdman. That's, I'm still angry about that, even though he was good. I hated that movie so much. <laughs> you know, I watched The uh, Revenant uh, Saturday, and I hated that too. I think I hate that director. I'm going to well, I'm gonna let him have it if I ever meet him. What, what did you hate about The Revenant? Uh, everything. <laughs> I just watched it at my house. I know you're supposed to watch it in the movie theater. I just don't understand why it was made in the first place. I can't figure because out why so, I'm watching it. Because it's so dark? Because it's so... Why? Wait, I'm, I'm missing Boring. why. Boring. Oh. It's stupid. There's no Did point to it. Did he win the Oscar? It, is he, is I that hope, the Oscar winner? You though? know, if he wins for that again, you're just like, what the hell? He's had so many other good performances that are better than this. It's like Scorsese winning for The Departed. Uh, no offense, I'm sorry, because that's uh, your favorite movie because it takes place in Boston. You know, you people are all alike. <laughs> you people. Uh, but that's, uh, that, you know, that really is fascinating that, um, you know, you were there when that, uh, that all took place and that the... Uh... So you were there when they were filming the movie as well. Yeah. Oh, I, have, I do have a, a good uh, behind-the-scenes uh, story for you about the making of... Um, Please do tell. Um, of, of spotlight. So at one scene, at one point, uh, Robbie and Michael Resendez go for coffee, and they walk down the hall and they go into the coffee shop, and uh, they get their coffee, and then they they're talking, and and then they go out and they go down the stairs and they go off to do their thing. Well, the scene was shot in the actual coffee shop, and Sophie, the the lovely woman who works there, uh, was working that day, so they had her be herself wow. as the coffee shop lady. So they said. Okay, you, you sit there and you, you, know, you give the change and whatever. So Michael Keaton comes up, he's saying his lines, he buys his coffee, he pay, gives her a buck, and she says, thank you very much. Cut, 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 cut. Well, you can't be saying that. She says, what, what? You can't speak. You can't speak. If you speak, we have to pay you. Ugh. So they give you the money, you just give them the change, and you just nod. You cannot speak. Oh, okay. So then. So Sophie had to do her, she had to mime all her thank yous, and she could not actually speak I, on stage. That's so annoying. You know, that happened yeah. to me, I told you, during Sarah's uh, show, where, you know, I was just a, an extra in the first season, um, just hanging out behind her, and they kept yelling, cut, because I was pretending to eat a huge hoagie. <laughs> <laughs> cut! Uh, cut! And she's like, just cow. please, you're just supposed to be sitting, like, you know, and then the waitress came over, and I go, thank you very much, like, Cut! It's the same thing happening. And they're so mean about it. I'm like, what are you supposed to? Well, I didn't know. And I'm obviously, all right, maybe I should have known, but I didn't because I don't do a lot of that stuff. But this girl, Sophie, how is she supposed to know? And they're probably rude about it, too. God, what the hell are you doing, you whore? <laughs> the mean of this poor old lady. But at least so she got to be in the movie. That's kind of fun. Are you mad that you're yeah. not in the movie? Because I'd be furious. Furious. No, it's okay. No, and then, no person, but you know me. People would be like, but you had nothing to do with them. I don't care what it is. Everybody knows I'm an actor, and I should be in that film. And I should be saying it when they, when they go to the gas station. I'd be like, um, uh, fill it up, Mr. Bradley. Or whatever. I'm doing the Ben Bradley role because I just can't think of anything. <laughs> Was it ben Bra no, Who's Ben had... Bradley Jr.? It's this guy works there. He's Ben Bradley's kid. 
It's so weird that the two best reporting movies all deal with uh, somebody named Ben Bradley. I mean, and the the, the lineage of is quite fascinating, you know. Well, there's that, that Monopoly movie about Milton Bradley too. <laughs> well done. Yeah. I like uh, the Ben Bradley in the All the President's Men. I say we stick with the boys. Now you two better not fuck it up again. Uh, who, who am I doing? My Jason Robarts, right? <laughs> now if I find yeah. out, I'm gonna get pissed. Now, I don't want to they... get pissed. Now you better take a shower and go home, because now obviously I'm doing it like uh, Jimmy Stewart for some reason. <laughs> now, now you. I suggest you go home and take a shower because in about three hours, the shit's really going to hit the fan. I, I, John, are you there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Mr. Vitti, I have to say, that is some pretty cool stuff that uh, you were there, you were during it, you were for such an important thing. Um, I guess I have to ask the ultimate question as a Catholic person, uh, how'd that make you feel when they were going after these kind of stories? Oh, like any, it always makes you feel good when you're going after bad people. You know, you don't, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. Yeah, but I kids, mean, I'm so. saying as, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think if, like I'm saying, if it was happening, and certainly it, I'm sure it does somewhere, but if they were going after, like I said, rabbis or something like that, God, I'd feel like a bag of crap, I think. I'd be so upset. In a way, you know, in a way, I'd be happy we're going up to people, but you know, just that it was happening. I, I guess you oh, know. You mean, it, the, you mean the reporters? How do the reporters feel? No, I just meant. Or you. how does the audience feel? I mean, the, the readers and such. I was talking about yourself as an individual, yeah. going reporting after something. Like if I knew that the people I was working on were reporting against, you know, something about my religion that was things were bad. I don't know. I mean, I guess you know, for me, it's different because, like I said, um, you know, anything to bring any kind of bad to uh judaism is always bad for all of us <laughs> like like i told you uh, like i've told a hundred times when david berkowitz got caught <laughs> that was a nightmare <laughs> for me in junior high and, uh, <laughs> like they're like well uh, as soon as i heard his name like the guy is david berkowitz i'm like oh crap this is gonna be really bad in school this year <laughs> and it was remember they called me berkowitz for two years because my first yeah, name I was david I lucky me i see him at the meetings all the time but we really don't talk much uh, you know we He's uh he's one of my people. Who, but Berkowitz? We, you know, he, that's what you say. Yeah, yeah. I see him at the meetings, but you know. Well, we they uh, like I said, they uh, also have uh, talked about they they you know the kids in junior they then they realized I was an okay Jew, so they just call me Perko. Uh, to this day, when I see people from Perko, uh, the anti-Semitism continues. <laughs> Anyway, uh, John, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's completely fascinating. I probably didn't even have the array of questions I should have for something that's uh, really phenomenal. I mean, that, um, you know, this movie is really badass, and you were there not just for the making of it, but for when it was actually happening. I mean, that's pretty damn cool, you know? I mean, it really is like you being there for Woodward and Bernstein, you know, like you're in the day-to-day -day things when they're, you know, uh, you know right. the Watergate yeah. stuff. I mean, that's very that's very exciting. So you kind of saw it going down, and you knew before it happened, and you knew be, you know what was going to happen. Did they did they take your but side no. and say, listen, when this comes out, uh, no. this article, everybody be aware. No, nobody said anything. Well, here's the, here's the other here's the, the real how it happens part of it though is that I was actually in the newsroom working on the the news section when that was in two thousand what two thousand one two thousand two yeah uh, when that was happening. So I was touching all those stories, so to speak. Um, and writing the headlines for them and doing the captions. But when you're putting out the paper on any given night, you're doing those stories 
but you're also doing the cat walks across piano, old lady wins lottery, <laughs> car crash. Oh, sorry. You're doing all those stories, too. So it's just one of the 43 stories you touch on a night. It's one of the 200 pages you lay out in a night. You don't... It, it, it's just work in front of you. There's not... It's not just that one story that you're working on. You're doing... Here's your um, presidential story. Here's your weather story. Here's your uh, high school sports story. So you're working on those, two, And so on a nightly basis, you lose the import of it a little bit because it's just work. You know, it's, it's all, you have to write the, the headlines for these 10 stories, whatever they are, whether they're groundbreaking, historic, or boring. You still have to fill the paper. Yeah, but uh, no, no, the head, the Schreiber character, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name again. Um, Marty Barron. Barron. He didn't, you know, make an announcement to everybody that, because they knew what they were dealing with, that things, you know, you might get calls, you might, the police could call, you know, because a lot of times, like, you know, I've worked at law firms before, and they, they tell you ahead of time, we might have a media thing with this client or something. Nobody said anything? Oh, sure. There was that. As it was breaking and as it was happening, the paper got much more publicity and uh, attention, but the night-to-night showing up for work part of it didn't change. No, I understand that. I was just wondering if they warned you ahead of time, like if they called everybody into a meeting or something the day before you know, they printed the story. That's all. Well, anyway, thank you so much for taking your time. Um, you are one fascinating individual. We're going to talk about sports and politics. And, and you, uh, didn't, you, you didn't even ask the, the real question. Is it true that uh, Bill Belichick's plan was actually to intentionally lose the, the AFC championship so he could support his presidential candidate? Because all part because Belichick is so smart, he's got it all figured out. Who's his so presidential you, you, candidate? Well, you know, that's part of his. That's, you know, you're not supposed to know because uh. he's so smart about all these things. <laughs> Uh, so I, I wouldn't think that for a second, but I will tell you this, that, you know, everybody's second guess it's so ridiculous. Second guessing should he have kicked that field goal. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And you know they'd get on him, but they're like, I couldn't believe he went for it on fourth down, too. You know, like if he got it, they'd... It's just so ridiculous. The, the man has made some of the greatest decisions of our time, but he's made two mess-ups, you know, over a period of like 15 years. You know, that fourth uh, fourth down one and that one against the Colts. And, yep. they, and they pick on him for it. And I don't care for the man at all. And I hate the Patriots. But for God's sakes, you well, know. We were, joking when it, we were joking when it happened on Sunday. We said after they at the, the, the touchdown to make it 2018, well, Belichick of here will go for one and just <laughs> kick the extra point. Because they're not expecting that. And the odds say they'll get the onside kick. Right. And he'll, he'll show everybody how smart he is. Oh, it's so ridiculous. They're second-guessing this guy. All he's done is bought them championships. He keeps bringing – you know, if you don't win Super Bowls, you're still in it to win it every goddamn year. And they're, right. they're questioning his coaching ability. People are dicks. <laughs> and again, I I couldn't be happier that he's under the spotlight, but it's ridiculous. I'd yeah. much rather he'd be in the spotlight. Also, um, did you see the article, as long as we're here about, and I know you got to go, um, about that uh, apparently, I think it was in Sports Illustrated, that Deflategate never even happened. Like, the ball, you know, that story is bogus now. They're now questioning the entire story. Oh, my head. No, I did not see the story, but... Uh, there's a story there's now a story. saying that it... No, that it just never happened, that it's ridiculous, and there's just a lot of haters to the Patriots, and they, you know, be, besides maybe the, even the NFL... I mean, because Bill Belichick is such an unlikable guy and Tom Brady is so aloof, I think, you know, people just gang up against them. They come up with uh, stuff to pick on him about. Right. And on the other side, too, the NFL is not the most lovable company either. 
No. So you have people. There's plenty of people to hate in the in the conversation. Yeah, but uh, that's what the new but, studies have found that there there was no incident. Uh, uh, it's classic. I mean, has there been a, a bigger non? I don't want to say non-story isn't the right word, but misplaced use of time for everybody for the last year than that? Um, no, um, because um, it made everyone else that aren't Patriots fans or the Patriots feel really good about themselves. So screw you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad I started the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnny. Uh, have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, maybe about the Super Bowl. Wonderful. Thank okay, you, Bob. Bye. Bye. Yeah, thank you, John. John Vinny, everybody, from the Boston Club. Very interesting uh, person. Going all the way back to 1979, here's David Norton and Megan it for the movie Meatballs and the TV show. Megan it. David Norton, everybody. Uh, now, a couple other things before we get to our uh, Robert Stigwood treat. No, yeah, let's just get to it because you're probably looking at why, why are we uh, promoting a Robert Stigwood? Who is Robert Stigwood? Well, I've been when I heard that he died, he, he's a movie producer and he produced Saturday Night Fever. All right, that's it. Well, I didn't know these other two folks were going to die before I uh, came up with this thing. But the fact of the matter is not only did he produce Saturday Night Fever, he was a, mu- a, a music producer before he started doing the movie the movie business like he went to Paramount when he was making Saturday Night Fever and told them how deep is your love you know the classic thank you thank you very much here's David Norton with how deep is this is the David Norton version David Hasselhoff. How deep? So this guy goes into Paramount. He tells them this song is going to be an epic rock ballad. Well, he might have been wrong about the wording of a rock ballad, but... And he said Saturday Night Fever would be a huge hit. And Paramount said, you're out of your mind. You're an idiot. Nobody knows what you're talking about. This music is stupid. The premise is stupid. And he said they projected it would bring in $18 million. So this guy, Robert Stigwood, said, well, I'll tell you what. You keep the first $18 million and I'll take the rest, and it grows $250 million. And a legend is born. But before that, he, was like, uh, he w- wasn't doing very well, so he uh, rented his office out to the managers of The Who. <laughs> in the 60s, he was a British guy. And uh, then he kind of lured, lured the band away eventually, and they uh, recorded Substitute with him. And, and then he, uh, he became the manager of a, a brand-new band comprising of three of the best musicians from two groups that he had under contract. He had different these two groups under contract that he took the best of them and made them into another group, and that was uh, Eric Clapton from the Blues Breakers, uh, Jack Bruce and Ginger Breaker from the Graham Bond organization and he formed Cream Robert Stigwood this man who just died about a month ago formed Cream it's not not shabby and uh, 
you know, this guy is the one that formed RSO Records, which, you you know, if you have the Saturday Fever Tribe, you have any Bee Gees records, you see that stupid pig going around. It's Robert Stigwood Organization. So, I mean, this guy, he apparently he was annoying as shit, but he definitely had some... I bet he was one of those managers that was really difficult to work for, but he just, you know, he got this teenage vocal group called the Bee Gees. And he had these guys, and they, uh, and, you know, it just all kind of came together. I mean, you know, a guy that can put this, the, a guy that can put this song, this, these guys that sing this, a song like this. In the event of something happening to me There is something I would like you all to see It's just a photograph of someone that I knew Have you seen my wife, Mr. Jones? Do you know what it's like on the outside? A guy that can promote uh, a band that's singing this into is like, no, you got to use these guys for uh, Saturday Night Fever. I mean, that's um, really, that's forward thinking. I mean, I don't know how he worked. I still don't know how he worked at it. I still don't know how the Bee Gees, how it worked in Saturday Night Live. I mean, it's, I mean, the songs are legendary and classic, but think of these guys you know it's just so weird when you see the movie if you really think about you know when John Travolta's very you know ridiculously manly performance then you got these three idiots I mean the Beaches are great and they sound really good and their vocals and harmonies are amazing but if you think about the songs that are in it it's just it's the stupid disco air so the so the Bee Gees decide to go disco which was I guess the greatest thing they ever did because then they were able to, you know, it, what happened was that the film was already, Saturday Night Fever, which is one of my favorite films, and that's why I'm bringing all this up. I mean, I can watch it a hundred times. I really think it's an amazing thing. Um, there's, there's so many, th- the Bee Gees, they had nothing to do with the film until it was completed. And uh, John Travolta even said that the Bee Gees, they weren't even involved with the movie. He was dancing to Stevie Wonder and Boss Skaggs, Skaggs in, you know, some of the scenes between him and Annette at the dance studio or whatever. And then they, uh, he, the Stigwood commissioned the Bee Gees to create songs for the films. And Robin Gibbon, Robin, Robin Gibb, which I think, no, he wasn't, it was, yeah, he was the ugliest of the Gibbs, but the most cool because I think he was married to two girls at the same time, which is so hot. He said they were recording their new album in the north of France. This is a quote. We'd written about and recorded about four or five songs for the new album when Stigwood rang, rang from L.A. and said, we're putting together this little low-budget film called Tribal Rights of a Saturday Night. Would you have any songs on hand we could use? And they said, look, we can't. We haven't had any time to sit down and write for a film. And then they wrote the songs in a single weekend in France. You believe that? The The first song uh, they did was this one. Mm-hmm. 
if you don't recognize it, it's because they let this woman sing it instead and do a different, more of a disco-y version. Because they even asked, can it be more disco-y? So they had this girl, Yvonne Element, sing this one instead. This is in the film, obviously. If you know the film as well as I do, you can recognize all the songs. And you have it picture in your mind. If, if you ask somebody to make it more disco-y, I, I'm pretty sure they they did it perfect. But Stigwood was also representing this girl, so the Bee Gees didn't mind giving their song to this woman who was never heard from again. Well, she was in Jesus Christ Superstar, which he also produced. She was mad that she got so much, uh, you know, accolades with this song. She's like, yeah, I don't do mainstream stuff. <laughs> what an idiot. And she was never heard from again. So, uh, apparently, th then they just wrote, these are the ones they wrote in, in a damn weekend. that in a weekend and the, oh yeah and then this one but this is oh yeah yeah they did use this one they used this one twice on the album they got this one twice on the album I think this is where uh, he's dancing with the net right I knew that you could that in a weekend I'll tell you something it's fascinating but here's the and, they, and then they used it again with Tavares which is even more interesting version I mean, they really went all disco-y going all the way back to 1977 it was Tavares Same song, completely different version. I mean, it really is fascinating, uh, you know, if you're 
this guy. I mean, Stigwood, he did it all. I mean, that soundtrack was um, unbelievable. Staying Alive, How Deep Is Your Love, Night Fever, More Than a Woman, If I Can't Have You. That's side A, all Bee Gees, except the Yvonne Elliman, but still written by the damn Bee Gees. So the entire first side on the first album is all Bee Gees. And then you have these other songs, which we know perfectly, which he just took, you know, um, from things that were around maybe a year before, but were hot. I'm looking for an example. Oh, I got the wrong one. Urgh. A Fifth of Beethoven. You remember that song? Damn it, I have it here somewhere, but I don't know where I put it. Eh. Uh, what else? And he had uh, more than one tour. Oh, yeah, and then uh, this one. This one, we, we do know this one. Uh... Where's all my stuff? Hey, where's all my stuff? Hey, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm all messed up. No, this one from the... Uh, let's just get to it. That's the... Hey, you're not gonna let those spicks win, are you? Come on. They're better than us. Fascinating. What about this one? You know every song. Hey, you guys, take some more lessons. Hey. Hey, Rabbi, how are you? How'd you like to make a hundred bucks the hard way? And you guys, take some more lessons. Let's try it again. You know where this is from, too. <laughs> and you guys, take some more lessons. Oh. <laughs> so my timing is off. What about this one? This is all from the album. It's fascinating. Well, we know them all. Some of them weren't written directly for the album, but clearly, I mean, you know the Saturday the Saturday Night Fever album. We, as we talked about last week, is as big as Thriller and the e Eagles' greatest hits, which is number two. This is like, what, number five? It's like a time capsule of disco and that era. I mean, you know, every song, this is KC and the Sunshine Band, for Christ's sakes. What about this one? I don't know what scene it's from, but I certainly know it's from. I know it's from Saturday Night Fever. Let's go further in. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, we didn't even talk about this one. This is also a BG song. This 
one's definitely in the movie too. I mean, and then um, one that wasn't in the movie but was from an earlier album, but still unbelievable, right? This song, this opening is amazing. Baseline of this. It's not on the album, but I mean, this is, you know, this was a huge hit off the album, even if it wasn't before. Great open. just so I had to open it up a little more. Oh. Uh, hold on. Yeah. There we go. Remember this one? It's amazing. These instrumentals were also really popular. I remember hearing them on the radio as a kid. Maybe you don't recognize it. Now, this is when they're on the Verrazano, so I always remember it as a kid, too, because he always used to be you know, around the... I was hanging out in Brooklyn around this time. You guys know what I'm talking about. Brooklyn in the 70s. How are you? Let's go on. I love this. Always reminds me of New York. How is it? Well, it's called Manhattan Skyline, but it's perfect. I guess that's why it does. It used to be on the radio. I had no idea it was from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. I thought it was... Uh, I don't know what I thought it was. I thought it was like, this is CBS. And they would just play this in the in between commercials. I, I don't know. Fascinating. Then here's that other one I was telling you about, Fifth of Beethoven, I think. Right? <laughs> Beethoven would be turning in his grave. And you certainly remember it again on the Verrazano, right? When, can you dig it? I knew that you could. And then Barry Miller calls her the C word. And then in the T version, they go, You fakers! What else we got here? What's this one? Oh, yeah, what's this? Now, here's the name, Night on Disco Mountain. I have no idea what that is, but do we know it by listening to it? We do. It feels like it's all in the Verrazano. I don't know. That's all I'm thinking of. Trying to move it along. 
I mean, it's a it's a very fascinating soundtrack that really is just you know every song and I mean this guy. Robert Stigwood put it all together, produced the album, made the money from the album, deservedly so. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, but you know what's funny is that this is... Do you remember, you know, they, and they have the dance in the movie, and of course, I mean, this is just a classic. It's not on the album. But it's funny that it's not, because I feel like they use it in the movie. You remember this one. Go all the way back to 1975. Do the hustle. Van McCoy and do the hustle. I don't know whether you, some of you know about this, some of you younger listeners, but when we were in gym class, we had to learn these dances. They made us learn these dances in gym. That's how important they were to know. And this was good, too, a line dance. That way you never felt, you know, if you were shy, you could just get in on it. You didn't have to have a partner or anything. And if you knew the moves, you could you just get into it. And it's so funny when they show it in Saturday Night Fever because, you know, if you're younger, you're just like, what? How does everybody know the dance? See, this is such a joke. But we did. They taught it in gym class. So we did know it. Plus, my mother... Uh, made she made us she uh, <laughs> she was a huge dancer in her day although my sister and I question all of it because we've seen her try and dance but apparently she was so into dancing in her day that she hired a guy to teach us all dancing um, uh, before our bar mitzvahs and that's why when we went to gym class we had already known all the dances because my mother had taught us, so like even the tough guys were just like, "Oh yeah, I know, I'm familiar with this already." Thanks to Mrs. Juskow. <laughs> this guy, his name was Wes Parker, and he was a hipster from the '70s. Taught us all the dances: the the hustle, the bus stop. <laughs> the bus stop you needed a partner for because you had to bump tushies. Um, and there we'd be uh, every Monday and Thursday, and we'd be practicing the dances so we could go to everybody's bar mitzvah and do the dances. I think the last line dance they had maybe in the early 90s was the electric slide, and then I don't think there's any more line dances. There were some country ones. But nobody does them anymore, and it's too bad because uh, it certainly is easy to bond with people when you're just doing a dance. You don't have to worry about getting a partner or anything, you know. When you're a shy kid like myself. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but this other guy's work, he never, you know, he had that. He also did Tommy, you know, which I love because he had the who. And uh, he also did, I don't know if you remember this one, but it's, uh, it's legendary, but it's, it's not very good or known to be good, but it's. He's a candy-coated. For all his friends, he always seems to be alone. But they love him, Bugsy Malone. Yeah, Bugsy Malone, the Scott Bayo, Jody Foster vehicle. Bugsy Malone, he produced. This is before Saturday Night Fever. Bugsy Malone is one of those movies, you know, it's a child gangster movie. And it, it, 
it didn't not work, but it also didn't work. And actually, one of my favorite directors, Alan Parker, directed it, and it was his first movie uh, before Midnight Express, uh, Fame, Angel Heart. This guy liked. He was very diverse. That's why I liked Alan Parker. He did musicals. He did serious movies. Uh, and this was done by Paul Williams, you know, the great Paul Williams, who did, like, all the Muppet movie stuff and lots of stuff before that. It's just an old-fashioned love song. He was good at writing movie, uh, really sad songs. There's a documentary on Paul Williams. If you ever see it, it's uh, very interesting but very depressing. So he did Saturday Night Fever and he did Grease. And then he made a huge mistake, and that's what we played up front. He did this. You guys are familiar with uh, Peter Frampton, right? Uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to hear Peter Frampton sing the Beatles? The only way it gets better is when the Bee Gees come on board. to the uh... I mean let's face it the Bee Gees sound great with their harmonies in this but you know it's still Good, right? I mean, it's uh, the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I saw it when I was a kid. It was the worst movie then. It's still a bad movie. They released the 20-year anniversary, and I'm like, you know, I think I want to see that again because the songs were really good. I like the Bee Gees. I can't stand Peter Frampton, but he looks good. And the opening scene is good because they um, sound good, and then it just gets worse and worse. And George Burns is the star that introduces it all. So there you go with that. Uh, but you can see this guy, Stigwood, he, he loved his Bee Gees. He put them in a bunch of stuff, and they're still angry about that, even though they're dead. They're still angry. What about this one? How could this go wrong, you would think? What? I'm just going to get to it. Oh, late nights, 
Who is that? Oh, it's uh, Steve Martin doing Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Steve Martin, how could you go wrong? Well, they did. It's horrid. I've seen the movie again recently. It's unwatchable, and it's Steve Martin. And Steve Martin can sing, too. It's just, it's not his fault. Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, and that pretty much, you know, was uh, a major problem for him. And that was after Greece, and then it was really all downhill. For, I mean, really all downhill. But, you know, I mean, that's the funny thing. Then he got, I mean, the one we played up front, the Earth, Wind, and Fire doing uh, Gotta Get You Into My Life. I mean, they're great. I, you know, he's probably sitting there. Well, I mean, here I don't see how we can go wrong. But the movie's horrible. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I mean, it's really, really bad. And then he makes another bad move and puts John Travolta in this movie that I've been talking about for, which is Travolta's like first mistake where he just can't recover, moment by moment, uh, which is him and Lily Tomlin as lovers, two gay people pretending to be straight in a movie now now I get it I didn't know Robert Stigwood was gay I didn't know who he was but he produced this movie now in this movie if you ever see just the opening John Travolta plays a a drifter on the beach and I gotta say and I've talked about this before with people and it is gay as I've said it and I've probably said on this before he's gorgeous I mean he really is a gorgeous man and when you see him, well, you can see how a lesbian might fall from Even though she's not playing a lesbian in the movie, she's supposed to be playing straight. Two gay people, right? But, I mean, he really is a pretty man. And he's there with his shirt off, and uh, he looks amazing. But it, the movie is unwatchable and horrible. And I have tried to watch it, but it's just stupid, and it ruined Stigwood and John Travolta. And then it just got worse for this guy, as he uh, was like, well, maybe uh, I can get back in my glory. You know what I'm talking about with a couple of sequels. Come on, everybody, gather round. I'm going to show you how to knock it down. When I'm on the ball, I'm the number one. And I'm going to show you how it's done. Score, 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 score tonight. How could they go wrong with that? Grease 2? What? Grease 2? A sequel to Grease? And songs like this about bowling? But the double entendres? We're going to score tonight with a beautiful Michelle Pfeiffer. 
how can you go wrong? And don't worry, Frenchie's back. And not just Frenchie, but Liza Minnelli's sister, Lorna Luft, who's about Rizzo's age, 50, playing a high school student. How do you go wrong? Did a gay man cast this? Oh yes, he did. Lorna Luft as an 18-year-old with songs like this. This is the free thinker who put together the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Don't get sore when you lose tonight. We're going to show you how to do it right. I mean, these lyrics alone. You know what? Screw it. I'm not doing that Godfather show anymore. I'm doing a Grease 2 one. And I am going to put together a number of, you're going to, we're going to score tonight that nobody, the likes have never been seen before. Yes. We're going to score tonight. Well, too bad. R.I.P. Robert Stigwood. <laughs> it's not the way you want it to end, but uh, that's the way his, uh, that's, you know, and then he did Staying Alive, sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which we already did an entire episode on that already. Oh, the poor guy. And they said, we're going to rock, we're going to we're gonna fight tonight. You can picture them putting their fists up in the air, you know, like, um, you know, like our favorite with, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm going to flatten you like a pancake. He didn't do that one. But, uh, you know, he did do Saturday Night Fever, one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites, and uh, I can watch it on a, on a daily basis. I mean, I really could. It never gets old for me. It's, uh, it's great, and he, he was a very interesting – and he put – remember, so, so in your lifetime, if you do anything, yeah, you make a grease too, you make a moment by moment, but – you you make Saturday Night Fever, you make the movie, you make an unbelievable soundtrack, and you just make a, a genre that this movie you could put in a damn time capsule and send it to Mars, and people would be like, wow, when did this happen? And then you also put the band Cream together? I'd say that's doing quite a bit in a lifetime. So that's our show for today, but let's leave on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to play it again. Come on, everybody. Yeah, because after this show, I'm going to be making it. <laughs> I got lots of dates coming up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter every bar I go to to meet somebody on a date with this song. And they're going to be like, oh, my God, I am in love with this man. How could they not? I'm going to be shaking it. I'm going to be making it. I'm not going to be faking it. Yeah. I'm gonna have them just playing on the jukebox as soon as I walk in. I'm gonna be like, sir. I'm gonna slip the bartender 20 bucks, sir. Would you play this and tell everybody to be quiet? And I come in. And the girl that is okay with this and doesn't walk out or cover her eyes, I'm gonna marry. Right? <laughs> No more, no more banking it. This time in life, I'm making.
All right, everybody, listen. Uh, we got a really the worst weekend in sports ever this weekend. It's going to be depressing and sad, but the week after that, we got the Super Bowl. You know what? I'm glad because I got stuff to do. I got to see my mother or something. Or I might go to the Sixers game. Sixers playing the uh, Golden State Warriors, and that's the story. So, anyway, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. I hope you had a. A good uh, snow. I hope you're recovering from the snow. I hope you're having a good week. I hope you have a wonderful week as we finish off January. And we'll see you in February 2016, everybody. Have a great week. The Dave Just Podcast is on and making it.